1: Hey, Jalenta. Hey, Kristen. I've got a question for you. Cool. Ask away. Do you like talking about yourself? Of course I do. That's why we have this podcast, and that's why I'm a stand-up comedian. <laughs> well, you are going to love today, my friend, because we're taping the Ask Us Anything by the Book Bonus episode. Welcome
2: to another Buy the Book bonus episode, our between-season treat for your ears.
1: This week, we're giving you the much-anticipated Season 2 Ask Us Anything episode.
2: In this episode, we'll address some of the questions you've sent us throughout Season 2 of
1: Buy the Book. And let's not waste any time. Let's just get to it. Let's do this. Yes. Linda asks... I'm a librarian, and one of my buying areas for the library just happens to be self-help. I always look up the books you talk about to make sure we own them. I looked up What to Say When You Talk to Yourself and saw it was first published in the 1980s. How did you hear about this particular book? I think that's a question for you, Kristen, because I feel like you picked this one. I picked it because I started doing research— on saying nice things to yourself because I felt you were saying too many mean <gasps> things to yourself. Are to you Alenta. serious? Yeah. You know how you and I try to pick a certain number of books ourselves where we nominate them and then we go over the books that we nominate? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is one that I nominated because I thought it would be really
2: nice to hear you be nice to yourself. Well, turns out it worked. And now I'm very
1: bitter and I don't know why. Because you're so smart and pretty. Ugh.
2: I'm great. You're great. We're all great. That book was a great choice. Thank you for the great question, Linda.
1: (laughs) Oh, but Linda, also just a bigger picture question. How do we pick our books in general? We have a whole list of criteria. And if we check like five of the eight boxes, then it's a book that's worth covering. Uh, The list includes, has it ever been a big bestseller? Do we think it would be fun to live by? Have listeners requested it? Can it be distilled into sensible rules that can be done in two weeks?
2: Is it trendy?
1: Yes. All of these things. We have a list of about seven points. And if we can check five boxes of those seven points, then we will live by the book. Also, one of those boxes is, does it not replicate other books that we've lived by too much? Yeah. 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 Our next question is from
2: Elaine, who lives in Switzerland, which I thought was So cool. I love Switzerland. Uh, Elaine says... I'm curious to know, given the frequency of the podcast, do you have time to read the books cover to cover or do you have a team reading them and summarizing the salient points and steps and both of you then experiment and share your experience?
0: Well,
1: Elaine, the answer is we do read every book cover to cover and yep. we take meticulous notes. Very We're meticulous the only notes. ones who read it. I don't think Cameron reads them. Occasionally, our husbands will read the books with us if that is part of the project. Um, but... We try to cram each book into the very first day that we're living by the book and then distill all the rules and then get to living the book as soon as we close the cover on the first book and then live religiously for two weeks by it. Yeah. Yeah. No team. No team. The team is just Kristen,
2: Cameron, and I, basically. And, like, sometimes Mia, if we're afraid we're going to get in trouble, we make yeah. her listen to it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and and I do have to say that if we did have a team, on the one hand, I would think, wow, that would be great. But then on the other hand, we wouldn't be able to take away I wouldn't trust things. it. You like, have
2: to get comfortable with the language of the book. You have to, like, get into it. You have to read it, yeah. I feel like. Yeah.
1: Like, for example, page 19 of the Wild Unknown Tarot Duck. What I caught in there, what it said about race, Mm -hmm. maybe somebody else in a team 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 may not have noticed that. Might not have noticed that, but I, because it was me reading it, noticed that. And likewise with certain things that have stood out that have have Jolenta raising an eyebrow, like about the sanctity of marriage or about religion being thrown into certain things or um, about how a man sees the world. All of these things that Jolenta and I see, if we had a team, we don't necessarily know if they would.
2: Yeah. You know, I guess, you know, and this show is about our relationship with these books and just letting you guys in on what it looks like for a human to read them and live by them. So I I feel like we'd be dishonest if we didn't read them. All right.
1: Next question Elizabeth. Elizabeth writes Do Kristen and Jolenta really wait until the taping to reveal their experiences and verdicts to each other, or are they recreating the conversation for us? I have to say, if it's staged, it's very convincing.
2: Elizabeth? It's not staged. It's not Kristen staged is at all. such a buzzkill. Whenever <laughs> I try to talk to her about like any thought about a book we're living by, she'll be like, No, no, not until we're in studio. Not until we're in studio. No,
1: we'll text back and forth a little bit. No, Kristen We'll, we'll is talk a little bit about stuff. Such a
2: stickler but- for trying to keep things as close to the best as possible until the last minute.
1: I just want there to be magic when we get to the studio. It's true. I want it to have some spontaneity. I want it to be surprising. And but we do. I mean, Jolent and I obviously talk regularly and text regularly and it's not like our whole friendship evaporated and we only talk to each other in studios because of the show. Yeah. We still talk and yes, stuff. Yes, very right? true. But yeah, we We want to keep some of the surprises there.
2: Sometimes if I have, like, a big surprise in a verdict, I won't even write my verdict in the script. I'll, like, write it in an email draft and and keep it separate from Kristen, too.
1: Oh, and then one thing that I love that we keep secret are our audio diaries. That's sometimes the most surprising thing. When we get to studio, Cameron plays them for us for the first time. So Cameron is kind of the keeper of all the secrets. And then... We get to hear each other's takes on things. Like, you know, I get to hear if you and Brad were having a really exciting date night that I didn't know about, or you get to hear. I get me to hear about all those parties fighting. you guys
2: don't invite Brad and I to, <laughs> or Cameron that I know of. No, I
1: can't help it. I'm just just always very having people
2: over that aren't it. Cameron and I. Whatever.
1: <laughs> no, I'm just teasing you. But yeah, those audio diaries are sometimes the best magic and sometimes the worst. Like um, oh, the bathtub, the bathtub. I mean, yeah, you and Cameron. It was so faces covered and cringing. <laughs> Next question.
2: Oh, I like this question from
1: Mindy. She says,
2: "What three qualities do you have that no self help book can teach?" Ooh, I'll start first.
1: Okay, do it, do it.
2: I'd say my three qualities are: I have a nerding out quality that I think like. You love Star Trek. Comes very naturally. And just not even just the nerd things, but just my ability to nerd out about anything. Mm -hmm. If I have something I like, I will learn way too much about it, memorize dates that, you know, I don't need to memorize, and just digest every single thing possible. Um, Whether it's Katherine Hepburn or Star Trek or Amy Sedaris, like just whatever I like, I will be a hardcore nerd about. And I don't think that there are many books about how to, you know accidentally spend years of your life researching someone you happen to enjoy.
1: I love that. Um, I think I'm really great at researching. I think we touched on this when we were living by Boredom Brilliant, how I will frequently stay up way too late at night reading about something that will lead down the rabbit hole to something else, to something else, to something else. It'll start with conjoined twins. It will Mm, end with Audrey Hepburn. It will, in between, have all sorts of stories about the antebellum South and Meanwhile, I'm not bored for a minute. I just love researching, so I get it. I'm totally into that. Um, I don't even feel like, though. In my case, my love of rabbit hole research, I don't even think you need a book to learn how to do that. I just think you need to have the heart for it.
2: Yeah, the stamina. Yeah,
1: Yeah, the stamina, the heart. Yeah, yeah. What's Uh, another quality? Second
2: quality is I'm a really good magpie. Um, What does that mean? Like I'm really good at like collecting things. (laughs) I have, I have good collections of like little things, especially like I really like, this is so dorky. But like I'm really good at finding like a good shell, a good
1: piece of sea glass, a really good cute acorn. But can I point out something about you? Uh-huh. You never seem like a hoarder. Your apartment I try to always... have a very
2: curated yes. aesthetic as well. Your
1: apartment always looks beautiful. Oh, it looks thank like you. what mm. the anthropology store oh, wishes my God. Stop they could it. recreate. No. Yes it does. That's
2: the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Anthropology
1: <laughs> what they're aspiring to is to create a look like your apartment just oh, naturally is because you. you have that art you have that skill. You're able to do that, and it's never cluttered. It never looks like piles of crap. It yeah, just it was looks like, beautiful.
2: I don't want it to look cluttered, but I like that most of the random things laying around my house, I'll be able to tell you what beach I was on or, like, whose wedding I was at when I picked that up or, you know, that sort of thing. That's nice.
1: Well, Maggie, what's your second quality? Oh, God. I think that I'm really good at turning anything into a game. So, Oh, I would believe that. Yeah. So, for example, if I'm waiting for the subway, um... I well, I used to play this game called End of the World where you have to repopulate the planet but only with the people who are like on your subway platform. Oh, my God. Or, I love this already. And then you have to choose. Like, okay, so it's the end of the world. I'm going to eat this guy. And then you have to choose the worst-case scenario and the best-case scenario. Or, for example, here's another game. It's called The... Um, I can spell forty words in four minutes. Game where what? you look at one of the subway signs and you have to choose all the letters in the sign and choose words that are three letters or longer and make as many words as you can while you're waiting oh for the God. train.
2: That's so much better than what I do. I just love which like, is making like games if the train doesn't come by the time I count to fifty, it means I can't control the world and like I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> like...
1: <laughs> no, play End of the World instead, <laughs> or or play the word making game. There are so many games you can make up, and I think that. Um, I think I'm pretty good at making. You up should games. write a book
2: about that. I wish there was a self help book about that. Oh, really? Yeah, for that real. I don't know why. Cameron and I. Are, Cameron book. is nodding his head like <laughs> vehemently in agreement.
1: All right. What about skill oh, number three? Oh, my third quality
2: I have that they don't teach in self help books is I am so good at making up songs about animals.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm gonna name an animal now, and you're gonna sing. Oh a song. no! Okay. Oh the, no no no! The oh. animal is a sloth wearing trousers holding a baby sloth.
2: Sloth in pants doing a dance, holding his baby. Watch them prance, oh. dancing all over in their pants. Doesn't it make you want to take a stance? Oh yeah! <laughs> that was a very off the top of my head song about a sloth in pants holding a baby. Oh,
1: sloth. that was so cute. That was and mostly so cute. I sing
2: to my dog about oh. what he's doing, like walking around, eating, sniffing, being annoying, that kind of stuff. Oh. Being a barky asshole. <laughs> but I will sing a song about any animal I see.
1: Oh, I loved that. Uh, I love that. What's That's your a wonderful third quality? <laughs> quality. That's a wonderful quality. I'm so embarrassed. No, no, you should be proud of that. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so third quality for me, I didn't come up with this. Jolenta, you and Cameron were just talking about this a second ago. Mm-hmm. You guys were saying I'm a hustler. Oh, yeah. Now, there are already tons of books on hustlers out there, so I don't know.
2: But you're a different kind of hustler, Kristen, because you're a sneaky hustler. Like, you're always, you know, you'll get me to do things that I know, like, you're like, today I'm going to make sure Jolanta does this. But you always, like, trick me into thinking it's my idea.
1: Oh, it is, because you're so smart.
2: See, but you see, that's how you hustle. you hustle in this, like, very kind, sort of, like, bolstering way that gets people to do what you need done.
1: Ooh. Man. I could be a politician. You could. Holy crap! I don't think very highly of politicians. Mm.
2: But maybe you could. But maybe I could be a good politician.
1: Maybe yeah, I could be a good politician
2: because you just tricked people into reading books about like what to say like when you talk to yourself.
1: Oh, but that book was so good. It was. It was a good. good. One. It, it was good. It was really good. Okay, I will accept that. I will okay. accept that as my third quality. I am a subtle hustler.
2: Oh, Kristen, Petra has a question for you that I also have, which is. Kristen, did you ever go on that cruise you won, in quotes? (laughs) I need some closure on this issue.
1: Ah, yes, the cruise I won during the pilot episode of the show when we were living by the secret. So Dean and I decided we were going to go on the cruise Christmas 2017. Um, It was a very short cruise. It was just three days. We were going to go the 23rd to the 25th. It was leaving from West Palm Beach. But then I got a phone call a few weeks before saying, hey, actually, your ship is being used for hurricane relief in Puerto Rico. And so all of the cruises are being canceled for the next two months. And I said, "Okay, well, that seems like a really good reason to cancel a cruise. Um, I will cancel our hotel down there because Dean and I were going to do five days on the beach before we did the cruise. Mm, So we canceled our hotel down there. We canceled our flights down there. Everything was canceled. And then 36 hours later, I got a phone call from the cruise company saying, Ms. Mindzer, we just need you to confirm that the cruise is a go. We have you going on the cruise from the 23rd to the 25th. And I said, what the fuck? I just talked with one of your you colleagues 36 hours it. ago saying that the cruise was canceled. And I had a flight down there. I had a hotel. I had to pay cancellation fees. And they said, oh, it sounds as though there was a miscommunication.
2: No. Yes,
1: they did. <laughs> and they said why don't you just go ahead and rebook those flights in that hotel? And I said, well, I can't do it now. They're already canceled. And they said, well, we're going to have to charge you a cancellation fee for the ship. What? That they canceled on you first. I know. And then I won and it was free. So they were going to charge me. And then I raised holy hell. I raised holy hell. Yeah. I talked to the higher ups and I talked to their higher ups. And then I asked for a refund of any fees because I paid, I think, $40 in taxes for this. I got those fees back. Um, I'm not saying I'll never go on a cruise again that's free,
2: but. But this one that audience members suspected was a scam was, in fact, a scam.
1: That was not the best cruise to take. Because <laughs> it
2: wasn't real.
1: All right, let's move on to this question from Amanda. (laughs) Amanda says, Jolenta, is there any specific reason you seem to be making an effort to refer to Brad as your partner instead of husband lately? I've learned a lot about being conscious of words being used, especially recently and in part thanks to you ladies, and I was wondering if there was a reason.
2: Um, Amanda, good question. No real reason. Uh, I've always felt weird saying boyfriend, fiance, husband, and then... Once we started doing the podcast and I had to say it in, like, a really public forum, I think after hearing myself on the first season, I decided I'd rather just say partner. I feel like husband feels gross in my mouth. It's sort of alienating. It's just an old term. Like, it's, you know, I do call Brad my husband from time to time, but I think overall he's just a partner. He's the person I am coupled with that I want to spend my life with. And he doesn't have to be a man, but, like, he happens to be... And uh, so I like partner.
1: All right. This is a good lead into the next question from Alyssa. Alyssa writes, Hi, by the Book team. I'm surprised that the show has yet to touch on the fact that both Jolenta and Kristen are married since their long-term heterosexual relationships have an enormous impact on the experience of living out the books. As a single woman, if I were to start a self-help book, no one would know. It's incredibly difficult to change your life when no one is there to keep you accountable, a luxury both hosts certainly benefit from. I'm curious how your podcast sees itself as speaking to others like me. I bring this up because I imagine that both Jolenta and Kristen would agree that a single person's experience is just as valid as any coupled person's. It's just that it's not a sentiment I'm hearing expressed in the show.
2: That's Uh, such a good question. Such
1: a good question, Alyssa. So appreciate it. And I have to say, first and foremost, as somebody who... Um, has spent most of my life single, mm-hmm. I totally hear you. when Totally. When it seems that a lot of the vocabulary and the culture out there is targeting people who are married or treats marriage as the default or assumes that someday you will be married or uses the, you're going to get married someday, just wait. Or, yeah, assumes as, a, as a reassurance you is as if missing if you
2: are not married. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's either a reassurance mm-hmm. or an assumption or what have you. Yeah, that can be very tough to be around mm-hmm. sometimes. I will say that for myself, even as a married person, I find that tough to be around sometimes. Totally. And Is it
2: weird that I don't think of us as married people? <laughs> well, we were married when to, we met. Yeah, like when we met, we were not married people. And like when I had this idea for the podcast, even like you were single were and I don't think I was like, I was married maybe yet. engaged, maybe or yeah. like about to be engaged. Yeah. And... Um, So it's also funny that, like, when this idea was born, this was not—we were not in long-term committed relationships. You know, I had a guy I'd been dating for a few years, and Kristen had, like, just gotten out of a relationship.
1: Yeah. And I'm somebody who honestly believes and always has believed that— There are merits to being married. There are merits to not being married. I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do things. And uh, Alyssa, you're right. We never want to send the message that marriage is the best way or the default or the way it should be. Um, But I'd also say that, Jolenta, you and I feel that there are plenty of people to be accountable to when we're not married. When we first talked about this show idea, when we first came up with it, we thought we could be accountable to each other. And we think there are all sorts of accountability partners and apps and Uh, People in your life you can choose to be accountable to who are not a husband or a wife or partner. Yeah, totally.
2: And, um, you know, to combat this coupled bias someday in the near future, I would also love to have, like, a single correspondent for By the Book who could, you know, report back to us on on findings from books uh, from the dating world, you know? Yeah. I don't know if that is something we can force Cameron to do or someone else. I would love else, to. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, we're not ruling out a, a single person's experience ever. It just happens that we're the people who made this reality show and we accidentally are both married. Yeah. Like, we weren't um, before, and but we are Alyssa, now. if this makes you feel any better, I started going to therapy and needing more help after I got married because uh, I realized a very large part of me thought uh, being married would just solve all my problems.
1: Yeah. Marriage has its own complications.
2: Yeah. Certainly. life. Yeah.
1: Um, but Alyssa, thanks again for the awesome question. We really appreciate your writing in.
2: On that note, let's take a quick break and then we'll get back to all of your burning questions.
1: Do you ever find yourself wading through your newsfeed on Facebook or Twitter, wishing you could just call someone up and ask, what do I really need to pay attention to here? Well, what if you could? I'm Mary Harris, the host of What Next, Slate's new daily news podcast. And every weekday morning, I'm going to be on call for you, taking you inside one story, going deep behind the headlines. What Next is news you're not going to get just scrolling through your phone. To
0: listen, subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.
1: And we're back. This is By the Books Ask Us Anything bonus episode. And we have lots of listener questions from you, our lovely listeners, for me and Jolenta. And let's get to the next one, Jolenta. Oh, do let's. So this one's from Rachel. Rachel writes, Jolenta, how are you adjusting to your ADHD diagnosis? Have you found any particularly useful tips or tricks? Love a fellow adhd Rachel,
2: Rachel, um, I am adjusting. It is an adjustment. Uh, it's been a little over a month. I'm trying all sorts of medications. Very supervised, healthy way of doing it, though. I promise. Um, and, uh it's definitely a bigger adjustment than I thought it would be. I have to literally change how I see myself and the world around me. Um, It's been overwhelming, but great. I'm realizing a lot of the noise in my head isn't my fault. It's not my fault. I can't control it the way I see other people being able to control it. And like, When I get help for it in the form of medication and learning to talk about it in different ways, like, it's blowing my mind. Um, I don't know if I even have any tips yet. I've just been working on sort of shifting my perspective and realizing, like, oh, I'm not a failure. Like, I have trouble doing these things and sort of just reframing. Uh, the language I use about myself being like, I'm bad at this. I don't do this kind of thing. I don't work well in offices to be like, oh, no, these are all things that have been because of a condition that's been unregulated for 30 years. And like, I'm smarter than I think. I have an ability to buckle down that I didn't know I had. And I'm just sort of exploring what it's like, like choosing things to focus on and realizing I don't suck at a lot of things I thought I sucked at.
1: Well, I have to say, also as a friend, mm-hmm. and I'm not in your head, obviously. I'm a, right. I'm a friend. You seem happier and more at peace with it's with yourself. Really, it's just. Uh, well,
2: I've always thought I was a failure because I've never been able to, like, do the right kind of cognitive behavioral therapy to, like, stop the anxiety tapes in my head. And then I realized, like, oh, there's a reason I've been having trouble doing this. There's a reason I don't react normally to, like, this sort of therapy. It's because, like, my dopamine receptors in my brain are fucked up. Like, they have a harder time than your dopamine receptors. I'm like, I need a boost. And it's been mind-blowing. It's just a lot of things I thought were facts about me were ADHD. Well, thank goodness for modern medicine. Oh, thank God. I love it. Uh, All right. Claire has a question for you, Kristen. She says, I was moved to tears by your description of your empathy for your birth mom in past lives, future healing. That's one of our episodes from season one. My husband and I are currently in the process of becoming adoptive parents. One of my biggest fears is raising a child who will eventually resent us as adoptive parents. Your love for your nana and family comes through in every episode, so I know that isn't the case for you. But I'd love to know about your stance on adoption overall.
1: Hmm. Well, my stance is adoption is great. And... As far as resentments go, I would say whether your children are homemade or adopted, they are going to resent you sometimes. Oh, for sure. That's just the way it is. If you're li- going to be a parent, the I kids live with are my birth parents,
2: you. and I don't live with them, but they're <laughs> in my life. I feel like I live with them. That's how much they're in my fucking life. Yeah, and I know some people yeah.
1: out there think that by making the kids themselves, they'll somehow be safeguarded against that. Oh, no. No, make them yourself or adopt them either way. They're going to resent you sometimes. Yep. They're going to hate you. They're going to think that Shit's you're Shit's going to get
2: rough. They're yeah. going to say they wish— You weren't their parents. Every three-year-old says to their parent
1: at least 500 times, I hate you. And that's because they have limited vocabulary and they're not able to say, I'm frustrated or I'm tired right now. They're so limited. Their brains are literally the brain of a tiny sociopath.
2: Yes, yes. Beautiful, beautiful magic of nature sociopath, but like baby
1: brain. And as far as your child's uh, dealings or feelings with their birth parents, I think every kid's different. But I can say me I went through years and years and years of hating my birth parents. I thought, Mm. why did you bother having a kid if you couldn't take care of it? It took me years later to realize that there were lots of structural inequities in Korea that led to a lot of women having babies against their will. There was no access to birth control. There was no access to abortion. And when I got older and learned more about that, You know, it made it easier for me to have empathy for my birth mom. Mm -hmm. And also once I became sexually active, it made it easier for me. Because once I was old enough to have sex, I was realizing sometimes I was in situations that were sticky. There were situations where I wasn't fully sure if this was consensual. There were situations where maybe I drank too much and did something. And then the next day I thought, "Uh, I don't want to sleep with that guy again. But fuck, I hope I didn't get pregnant. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think that. It's easier to have empathy for other humans the older we get just because yeah, we have sure. more experience. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if a child you had had resentment against birth parents for a while, for you know, years or for months at a time. But one thing that I think was very useful for me to help me be at peace with being adoptive when I was younger was uh, the story of me as a bedtime story. A very small mm-hmm. photo album that my grandmother had and she would – Tell me the story every time I'd visit my Grandma Minzer. And it would be this is a picture of an airplane. This is a 747, Northwest Orient Airlines, flying to the US. US. (laughs) This, this is, is a picture so of all of us at the airport waiting in anticipation for you. Here's your sister holding the teddy bear that she got you. Remember, she beat you up afterward because she didn't want to give it to you. <laughs> here is a picture of all of us being able to hold you for the first time at the airport. I'm like crying right <laughs> now. This is so sweet. And, and it just followed the story of me coming and becoming a part of this family. Oh, Joel, do you actually stop it? Yes, I'm Now crying. you're making me cry. Stop this it. It's so beautiful. Stop it. And <sighs> And here we are putting you in the high chair to eat your first meal in America. And we knew that your favorite food was scrambled eggs. Oh, so so we made you scrambled eggs. And oh. so that's pretty much what it is. And it's just a few pictures and a story saying, we know you came from somewhere else and we're so happy you came from that place and we're so happy that you're part of our family now and we are all a family together. And so that I think that that's a wonderful thing to have as a bedtime story or as an occasional story to visit. And I know
2: um, Brad, my partner's cousin, is adopted, and they celebrate her gotcha day is, like, just as big as her birthday. And, like, the gotcha day is, like, the new trendy term for the day. Like, oh, yes. You get you get adopted and, like, meet your adoptive parents.
1: Yes, yes. And we had... Um, so it's they sort of
2: go through the story and, like, yes. the albums. Like, this is when your aunt and uncle and I, like, all went to China and all that. Like
1: Yes, yes. So... When I was growing up, we did that for the first few years I was alive, and then um – we also for a couple of years when I was very, very young, my family is for the most part white mm-hmm. and I am Korean and my older sister. So your sister is also yes, Korean too. She's right? also Korean. And so they sent us to a day camp so we could be exposed to Korean culture. It was a Korean culture adoptee day camp. Mm-hmm, right, right. Um, and they have they have like a lot of like
2: language classes and stuff. Yeah, still well you could learn do, about
1: food yeah. and culture and history and so on. And then more than anything, I think the important part of that wasn't even the food or the culture. It was seeing other people who looked like us.
2: Mm-hmm. And other families like with that structure too of like exactly. your mom and dad are white
1: or a different color from yes. you. or yeah, Yes. Yes. So I'm a big um, proponent of that. Just um, seeing I'm other, all about other seeing, families. Yeah. See other families. See all formations of families. Yeah. But uh, see yourself as normal. Yeah.
2: That's so yeah. beautiful. God damn it. I love adoption. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. It's great. Um, So thank you so much, Claire, and good luck with your adoption. And we're so happy for your future family. You guys are going to have a wonderful family. Next question, Colleen. Colleen writes, Hi, Kristen and Jolenta. I feel like I am getting to know you both over the course of the episodes, and I'm getting to know that both of you are very socially aware. To that end, I want to ask you, what do you both wish and/or expect your doctor to know when it comes to talking to and working with survivors of sexual assault and sexual harassment in general? I'm a medical student trying to work on improving my school's curriculum in this area, and I thought you both might have some insights into this. This is
2: such a good question, and I can't believe you want to hear my insights. <laughs> I'm so flattered. Um, my first thought is just rhetoric. And asking um, if primary care physicians like had a question about like just more clear questions about maybe assault or discrimination as like an everyday stressor that people who aren't, you know, considered the norm in our country face as a stressor, as a health concern almost. That would be amazing. Like, I didn't know I had been harassed at work until I had left that job and someone was like, so that guy was a monster, right? And I was like, oh, my God, he was for years. And I had no idea because, like, I don't ever talk about this or think about it. And it would have completely blown my mind if, you know, along with questions about, like, you know, your doctor asks you general questions about, you know, Are you having sex with a partner? Are you having unprotected sex? Like that kind of stuff. Like, how's your workplace? Like, are you experiencing any emotional trauma there? Is, you know, do you feel like it's hard to do your job because of, you know, things you can't control? Like, those are everyday stressors that, like, you know, we can acknowledge and help people address.
1: Yes, absolutely to all of that. I would add to that that I think that, It's really tough when we feel judged by our doctors. And we've all been Mm -hmm. in situations where we felt judged by our doctors. And I think that one thing a doctor needs to master is the non-judgmental nod. Mm -hmm. Okay? How many partners have you had? Especially when it comes to to women's sexuality. Yeah. I give you an answer. Just nod. You don't need to be like, ooh. I don't need to hear that. I don't need to hear that. I don't need to hear, well... One doctor said to me at one point, you reap what you sow, because I went in, I had a sexually transmitted infection. And really, you don't know if I was raped. You don't know if I was in a consensual Mm -hmm. situation. You have no idea. And you're making judgments based on the fact that I've had more than three partners. And in your mind, that means that you thought it was okay to say you reap what you sow.
2: That's insane. Yeah. That's disgusting. So if we
1: can do anything to make sure judgment is not part of it, to do the polite nod, to be nonchalant, and to treat things that are not huge issues as if they're not huge issues. Because I think that some things aren't huge issues, and by blowing them up, it can make it sound like, oh, my God, what were you wearing? Why did you put yourself in that situation? And they're blowing up the wrong thing. Right, right. Yeah. Let's be really careful not to ever sound like we're judging people. And everybody has their own path, too. Mm-hmm. and. So that means some people are going to sleep with lots of people, and that's great, and that works for them. And some people are going to have maybe only two people they've slept with in their whole lives, and neither of those people were consensual. So, you know, we have to keep in mind that people have a lot of different stories and a lot of different paths. Yep. Okay, let's switch gears
2: and go a totally different direction. Uh, This question comes from Kim, who says, You both handle the negative comments you get with such grace but I have to wonder, do they ever get to you? As someone who wears her heart on her sleeve, I know some of the comments would get to me.
1: Ha! Some of them do get to us. Kim, Kim.
2: I am an insane person who compulsively checks every iTunes review
1: and tweet and comment on Facebook. Well, I think that one thing that's great about our show is that because it's not a single person sitting in a closet making it is we have each other to bounce our frustrations off of or mm-hmm. our concerns off of. So I can go up to camera. Or I can call you and I can say, oh, my God, another person said this about me. And you guys can take me yeah. down. Yes, and that's say, also like, true. And you guys can say, hey, you know what? This person... They're entitled to their opinion, but they're crazy. Or Kristen, this is a total asshole who's just trolling us. Just forget this person. Kristen,
2: that person isn't real. Like that person's a bot. Or like
1: Yeah, but we're all much better at soothing each other than soothing ourselves. Oh totally.
2: (laughs) So what we'll do, what we will often do is read a comment, get feel super crazy about it, and then one of us will send it to everyone else because we don't want to be the only person just writhing in pain with this negative criticism and then we make it the other, you know, I make it Cameron and Kristen's job to talk me down and be like, remember, like we had a meeting deciding we liked this. So it doesn't matter if this person doesn't like it or like, yeah, like that person heard this wrong and you said this like, so just shut
1: up. Yeah. And I think something that we've come to peace with also is that we are going to just have negative comments. Yes. Every single book we've ever lived by, somebody felt strongly enough about to nominate it um, for the show. And Because they feel so strongly about the book or those hundreds of people feel Mm -hmm, that strongly mm -hmm. about the book, lots of them are going to write to us and say that they hate us that particular And just like
2: we did it wrong if we don't feel the same way about a book they do. And it's like we didn't do it wrong. We're just literally different people. Like we read the same words on the page, but we just interpreted it differently
1: because we're all different. Yeah. And thank goodness we have each other so that we're never alone with that hate. Never alone with it. All right, here's a question from Nadia that we love. She writes, what is your go-to search on YouTube when you're feeling sad or need to get out of a bad mood? Whenever my younger son and I are in a mood, he says, let's look up cat videos. Then we snuggle and watch felines do ridiculous things. Oh, Nadia,
2: your son's the best. Love him. That's so great. Uh, My number one go-to is I look up medleys from The Cher Show, which is the show Cher did after Sunny and Cher on her own. But she would have these insane musical guests, and they would do these, like, 10-minute-long Medleys usually have a lot of good like 70s disco music and stuff. And the costumes are insane. The dances are insane. There's one with Sharon Tina Turner that's amazing. Oh, I know that one. And there's one. one um with Sharon Bowie that isn't that riveting, but just watching them together and how at ease they are with how amazing they are.
1: Yeah. They're so it's performative.
2: Just phenomenal the seeing them together. Of those two. Yeah, and it's just the amount of work that would go into these, you know, one-off medleys that is just sort of a one-and-done thing, but the amount of work behind them is insane. The choreography, the music, like, it's so good.
1: Ooh. I'm going to need to look those up.
2: 70s, big band, amazing hair, share dancing, the best things you've ever seen.
1: Love it. Um, For me, you know, I go in phases. Things change a lot what I look up when I need to feel better when I'm in a sad mood, so... Recently, I was sick and you can still hear I'm a little bit sick. Um, And I actually put out on the Facebook community page for "Buy the book listeners what their suggestions Mm -hmm. were of what I should watch. And um, usually when I'm sick is when I'm the saddest. I tend to get really sad when I'm sick. Yeah. It brings me down. And so I want to see stuff that's stupid, that's light, that doesn't have much of a plot. Um, For a long time, it was anything that was a clip of a musical. I loved anything from Sound of Music. Mm. Um, I was a big fan also of really bad 70s and early 80s pop music. So an example of that, I used to make people come over and, you know the song Silly Love Songs by Wings, Paul McCartney's band? No. Oh, God. Now I feel like I need to sing it. But I would get people to sing it along with me, I would put it on YouTube or, you know, what have you and then we would play it and then people would have to sing along. You really don't know this song? No, I'm like racking my brain. Am I going to have to sing it to you? I'm not going to sing it. No. People hate it when I sing. I sang a made-up song about sloths. Okay, okay. Um, you'd think that people would have had enough of silly love songs. You know this song? I look around me and I see It isn't, it isn't so. Though. No, it isn't oh, so. No, no, no. no. Some I know it only from Moulin Rouge. I did not know this was a Paul McCartney songs. song. And what's wrong with that? No, it's getting serious. I'd like to know. I'd like to know. So here I go. Again. Ah yeah. uh, now here's the part where you have to say I love you in harmony with the next song. Well, person.
2: see, this is the part where Moulin Rouge doesn't go into this part of the song, so I don't know it That's anymore. That's
1: why I hate Moulin Rouge because they, they don't only finish do any songs. Parts. Yeah. yeah, it's like I don't want to hear just four lines of a song. Anyhow, so that's one of the things I make nice. people do with me when I'm really sad and sick is, you know, put on some wings and sing that song with me. Or Milan Rouge. No! I'm sorry, sorry. No! No. All right, here's another question related to the things that Jolenta and I watch. This is from Joe in Iowa. Joe says, do you watch RuPaul's Drag Race? If not, ugh. If yes, who are your favorite queens and why? And what would your drag queen or king names be?
2: Uh, I watch Drag Race religiously. I
1: have trouble picking
2: favorites because I feel like it changes every five minutes depending on my mood. Uh, Some all-time favorites are obviously Chad Michaels, the famous (laughs) Cher impersonator. I love love Kim Chi. Uh, Kim Chi's makeup is insane. I love Bob the Drag Queen. I love Thorgy Thor. I love Cynthia Lee Fontaine even though she's kind of middling just something about her. like I love her. I love her. Um, And if I had a drag name... I've always thought it would either be kibbles and tits.
1: Ooh
2: or or Crimea Rivers. Like oh. Crimea the country.
1: Oh yeah. Like yeah. Crimea River or oh Rivers. Oh my God, you are good. You Those are, are good. my two. All right. Well, I have to confess, I only watched Drag Race the first few seasons, so... it's still good. Yes. So I, I feel that but I can't even But you don't know a really... lot of the
2: later season contestants I mentioned. Yeah. I just
1: feel that anything I'm going to say is not going to be fair to the later contestants because it's completely based on, you know, the earlier seasons. I think the last time I watched was more than four years ago. We're in 10 right now, so... Ooh. Yeah. So I don't know if you remember, but there was this... Drag queen who was very scary, and she'd only do kooky, scary kinds of drag. Yeah, do you remember her?
2: There's so many of them now. Like that, is it Sharon Needles? Is it?
1: Yes, so Sharon Needles. Mm-hmm. I just loved her because she was willing to just be a freak. So
2: good. I love I the ju- edgy, dark. Yeah, queens, it, it was a the li- Sasha Velour's. The yes, yeah, like yes. so good.
1: Yes, I just love it. You're taking it to a whole other level, and it's not just about you know how. Imitatively female? Can I it's be? It's really to the conceptual extreme. and, and exactly. it's an art form within itself. Exactly. Which, so which there's something about that I just love, and I don't think I could ever pull that off myself. But I just admire it it's so, so daring. much. Yeah, they're doing something it. else completely different. And as far as a drag queen name for myself, oh boy! I mean, I think it would have to be. I, you know what I think would be really great if I were an Amish drag queen, and if I took oh off God, the of bonnet. Course. Hello. What would your name be? Um. I want to name one of those little towns in Lancaster County that are Amish, like Mount Joy. But I don't think Mount Joy is a good drag Oh my drag God, queen Mount name. Joy is the perfect drag name. You think so? Drag name. Is just it? Mount Joy. Okay, I'd be Mount Joy then. Yeah. I love I'm totally that. Mount oh Joy. Oh my God, that's so good and oh, you're an yeah. Amish
2: drag queen. Yeah, and Mount I think Joy. it would have to
1: be kind of a combo drag queen striptease thing because I can't just keep the bonnet and the apron yeah. on the whole time. It would need it to, be to be a be transformed. burlesque. Yeah.
2: type yeah. thing. Or as Sonia Morgan would say, caberlesque.
1: Oh, yes, yes. That's what it would be. It would totally be that. So, Joe, thanks for that awesome question. Oh, my God. I'm obsessed with that name. Love that question. Mount Joy.
2: All right. We're going to end on a beautiful and simple question from Teresa. Teresa says, what other podcasts do you listen to? I'm all caught up on this
1: one and commute three times a week. Help. Yes. We got this question last season, too, with our Ask Us Anything. But it always changes. It's always fun because, you know, what we listen to changes. So, Jolenta, let's hear from you.
2: Okay. Uh, I'm always all about true crime for the most part. I like me some true crime and I like me some ghosts. So, uh, as far as true crime goes right now, I'm obsessed with real crime profile It's hosted by a former um, FBI criminal profiler and a former New Scotland Yard criminal profiler and a casting director from Criminal Minds to give a more like real human, you know, not real human, (laughs) but to give a more, you know, lay person point of view as opposed to just criminal profilers. Um, And these people are amazing and smart. And they sort of pick apart true crime stories that are in popular culture and look at them from a a more diagnostic point of view and a point of view of, like, here's how society went wrong. Here are, like, laws we should change to prevent this in the future. And, like, law enforcement's going to do nothing about it, so let's get angry. Um, It's incredible. I also love the Dirty John podcast, which is about sort of a con man. And Real Crime Profile's breakdown of the Dirty John podcast is super good. They have the creator of the podcast. Like, it's incredible. Uh, I could talk about it for 100 years. Also, I love... Haunted, which is a ghost story podcast. It's hosted by a nice creepy English guy whose name I can't remember. Danny
1: Rubin. Danny Rubin. And the Christmas episode, the two-part one in the hospital. It's so creepy. Oh, that hospital. It's so good.
2: And I just love it because it's— Haunted Christmas ghosts I love in that the it's English in a weird way because he interviews the English people who have these ghost encounters, and they're all just, like, super down-to-earth, like, salt-of-the-earth, like— Brits so who are like, yeah, no, this would probably be stupid, but it happened to me. So, like, I believe it. Like, yeah. It's so good. I could listen to it for out Do not listen to it when you're falling asleep, though. I did that one oh. time when I was by myself and was like, nope. No, no, no. This is not soothing just because it's quiet. It is too scary. No.
1: No, no, no. Um, for me, I am not going to name any podcasts that I host – because that oh, would be right. silly. <laughs> oh, shit. Should I have said When, when Megan Met Harry? Because yes! I'm
2: obsessed with the Royals. Host yes! Hosted by Kristen Minzer. Yes! And J- James Barr? Jeff Barr? James, James Barr. Barr. I know
1: someone yes. named Jeff Barr. Yes. Um So, yeah, I'm not going to mention that, but uh, I will mention, not surprisingly, Little House on the podcast. I what think is that? This? I've mentioned I this heard before. of this. Have I not mentioned it? I don't it? know. I don't think I've heard of it. It is a recap show Of every single episode of Little House on the Prairie, and Kim Reed, who hosts it, she used to have that blog like 15 years ago. Television without Pity before television recap blogs became popular. She pretty much invented television recap blogs, being snarky and funny. And so she recaps every single episode, and it's hilarious because she has great insights. She has feminist input. She takes down certain characters who we all know were assholes. Oh, but. Yeah. I love Nelly. Nelly's like the spiciest, most delicious thing on the show. Yeah. Right? I yeah. mean if... Except Mrs. Olsen, maybe. Oh. Yeah. Oh, love that Mrs. God, Olson. She's good. Keeping it real. Yeah. Otherwise it would just be sugar all the time. And I love sugar, but sometimes you need a little kick ass in there, mm-hmm. right? You gotta add some cinnamon. Yeah. Okay, so Little House on the podcast is one of my favorites. And I also love the show Bad with Money by Gabby mm-hmm. Dunn. Yes. Now, as you know, I'm really into being thrifty. As you
2: know, I avoid all podcasts having to do with money
1: because <laughs> <laughs> I don't like thinking about it. But no, I love, I'm kidding. It's I a very good I just love money shows, and I love hearing about other people's relationships with money and Especially why women. Is it that, yeah, yeah, of course. And you know, how do we manage our money? How do we make our money? How do we feel about? Our parents' relationships with money. She explores all these different things, like how do we develop the relationship we have with money that we do, and then what do we do with that information, and how do we use that information destructively or for good. Um, So anybody else who's curious about money, it's not your traditional money management show so much as, like, how our relationships with money work and how we work as a result. So. And plus, she's a comedian. And so bonus, good. if you love Jolenta, she kind of reminds me of Jolenta a little bit. That's so nice. Thank you. Yeah, Gabby Dunn is <laughs> yeah. hilarious. Gabby Dunn is just, yeah. There, there's definitely crossovers between you two as far as your humor and so on. So, yeah, that's what I've been loving listening to lately. Nice.
2: Well, I think we've covered enough questions for today. Yeah. I'm I, exhausted. I'm questioned out.
1: <laughs> so well, I'm going to say... That's it. Yeah, let's call it a day. That's it for this bonus episode of Buy the Book. Thank you to everybody who wrote in with their great questions. We so appreciate it. And reminder, you can always reach us at 505-510-BOOK or you can write to us at buythebook at panoply.fm. And don't
2: forget, you can always find us on Twitter at Jalenta G, at Kristen Meinzer, and at
1: BuyTheBookPod. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Cameron Drews, and our managing producer, Mia Lobel. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jalenta Greenberg. Bye-bye. this part is the funniest. God. I'd like to know Here it goes
2: I know this from Milan Rouge. Okay.
0: <laughs> I